0: Thank you guys again for being here. My name is Hollis Moore. Uh, I'm privileged to be the worship pastor here. And I love, love worship. And we're on this series about a church of influence. That's kind of the word that was on our pastor's heart and our staff's heart for us this 2020 year is that we feel like God is calling each and every one of us collectively to be the church, to be a church in our community, a church in our city, in our state, our nation, our world, that is influential, that makes an impact on the the culture around us. And so we're in this series talking about that. And Pastor Mark did an awesome job last week. If you weren't here last week, uh, we're going to get the messages. We're, we're in some transition stuff. So some of those messages are taking a little longer than we'd like to get posted, but they're going to get posted. In Jesus' name, everybody said amen. 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 So you're in agreement with me, they're going to get posted soon. But he just really, more than anything, he, where he landed is where I want to pick right up. And he talked about, uh, you know, we want to be a church that's all about heaven invading earth that we want, to be, we want it to be about your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And that's what we're seeking after. That's what we're in pursuit of is uh, the kingdom of God being manifested in everything that we do. And so tonight I wanna to talk about hosting the presence of God and what that looks like. And, and for me, being you know, the worship leader at this church, Um recently the Lord's kind of been on me about like, hey, you need to actually like study more and learn more about worship. And not just like how to play chords and how to sing better, but like what what's the word say about worship? And so in this journey, uh God's just kind of brought me to the tabernacle of David. And uh maybe you've heard of that, maybe you have no idea. So hopefully we're gonna learn some stuff together tonight. Um but we're talking about the Tabernacle of David because for me, the Tabernacle of David was just such a great example of what heaven on earth truly looks like. And so here's just some cool things about the Tabernacle of David you can find a lot of the tabernacle of David in First Chronicles 16, the whole chapter. Um, there's also a lot in Second Samuel. Uh, there's also a lot in Nehemiah. So, but I'm not going to read through anything. But I just want to highlight some crazy cool things about the tabernacle of David. So King David reigned uh, his kingdom over Israel for 40 years, and 33 of those years he set up this tabernacle. It was the Ark of the Covenant was under this tent. And for 33 years, there was day and night worship, continual worship. He, he had full-time worship leaders, uh, musicians. To, to be exact, 288 singers, 4,000 musicians, and 4,000 gatekeepers. These were employees. These were uh, security at the doors. This is sound tech. Uh, obviously, they didn't have, like, sound system, but they, you got to know if there's 4,000 musicians that there's 4,000 broken strings that go along with that, and they had to have somebody changing those strings out so they could keep the worship going, maintenance, security. But these were full-time employed by the king, uh, just worshiping. Nonstop all day long. They would take shifts, and they would just nonstop for thirty-three years. Continual worship before the Ark of the Covenant, the presence of God. Uh, just to put it into perspective, they had somebody did some research about one billion U.S. dollars a year to fund the Tabernacle of David, to fund nonstop worship. The the eight thousand two hundred eighty-eight people that it took to make that happen about one billion dollars a year. So for 33 years, that's 33 billion U.S. dollars to fund hosting the presence of God for a nation. That the king king of Israel said, we are going to be a nation that hosts the presence of God. And we will spend whatever it takes to make sure that the the God of the universe is in our midst and his presence is enthroned on our praises. And man, it just, it gets me excited. He wanted to be uh, a nation that hosted the presence of God. And we know that in Psalm 22, 3, it says that, that he's enthroned on the praises of his people. He's enthr- he was enthroned on the praises of Israel. So I want to look at that, that value. You hear that number, 33 billion. I mean, I just think, like, what if the president of the United States, whoever you want it to be, will just say the next president, whoever, said, you know what, we're going to spend your tax dollars in making sure that the presence of God is fully worshipped and enthroned on this nation... Like, just think about that. Just think about that. It's just, it's crazy to me. But I want to read through and tell some story uh, about King David. Now, uh, we're going to start in 2 Samuel 6. But this was kind of around the time uh, when King Saul was king over Israel. Uh, the Philistines had, had, a, had come in and attacked, and they had taken the Ark of the Covenant. They had taken the presence of God. The Ark of the Covenant was the manifest presence of God, and that's, that's, they carried that everywhere. But the Philistines came in and took it. Uh, and they, you know, carrying the presence of God when you're living in, in sin isn't a good idea. So they were like, come pick this thing up. We are done with it. Um, so, so David set out to come bring the Ark of the Covenant, to bring the presence of God, the glory of God, back to Israel. I don't want to read through all of this. I want to kind of just, this is for you say, your sake. It's uh, 6, 3 through 10. We're going to start here. This is his first attempt, which tells you that something went wrong. Something went south. We'll read through some of it. I'll kind of fumble along maybe, and we'll, we'll pick it up. It says, "'And they carried the ark of God on a new cart "'and brought it out of the house of Abinadab, "'which was on a hill. "'And then Uzzah and Ahio, the sons of Abinadab, "'were driving the new cart with the ark of God, "'and Ahio went before the ark.'" And David and all the house of Israel were celebrating before the Lord with songs and lyres and harps and tambourines and castanets and cymbals. How many of them were excited about the presence of God coming back home. They were ready to do this thing. And when they came out of the threshing floor of Nacon, Uzzah put his hand up on the ark of God. So pretty much something happened. They're, they've got the ark on this cart, this wooden cart, um, and they hit a bump or something. And Yuza goes to catch the ark to make sure it doesn't hit the floor, doesn't hit the ground. He took hold of it for the oxen stumbled and it angered the Lord or the anger of the Lord was kindled against Yuzah and God struck him down right there because of his error. And he died there because the ark of God or beside the ark of God. And David was angry because the Lord had broken out against Yuzah. And that place was called Perez Yuzah to this day. And David was afraid of the Lord that day. And he said, how can the ark of the Lord come to me? So David was not willing to take part of the ark of the Lord into the city of David. But David took it aside to the house of Obed-Edom. I want to stop here for a little bit. So this was like attempt one. And so, he, they're, again, they're trying to bring the, the ark home. They put it on this cart. It falls. Uzzah, poor Uzzah. I'm sure he meant well. But he just, you know, it, all, it started wrong to begin with. And let me tell you, tell you why. Well, first of all, I mean, the fact that it got stolen, the fact that the, the presence of God was taken from the people of God, that tells me that, man, the people of Israel, it was just common, that the, that the ark just became a thing to them. It just became just something that they have, something that they do. It's just over there. It wasn't important to them. It wasn't valuable to them. And we can't let the presence of God be common in our lives, that we carry the presence of God the the, the word calls us priest. And it was the priest's job to carry the, the ark of the covenant, which is why things went south you know where did they get this idea to take the cart or take the ark of the covenant onto a cart and have it pulled which is kind of lazy when the when moses told them you're supposed to have priests carry it well they got that from the philistines that was the philistines idea cuz they didn't know any better but i love the the name philistine means of dirt or of flesh And so they get this idea of the flesh. You know, only priests were meant to carry the presence of God, but we cannot move the presence of God while using methods of the flesh. And that's exactly what they did. And when you mix the flesh with the spirit, the flesh will always die. You know, I I believe that we house the presence of God that we are uh, his dwelling place, he calls us his dwelling place, and we are a royal priesthood that carries the presence of God. But when we try to do things in the flesh, when we think it's about, well, if I can worship more, if I can read my word more or pray more or say the right thing, do the right thing, when we try to do it in the flesh, man, we're going to, the flesh is going to die. We're going to get burned out and we're going to get sick of it and our flesh is going to die. But when we operate in the spirit and we just work with what the Spirit's telling us to do and calling us to do, it's easy. He makes it simple for us. And so let's not try to muster up a work of God on our own flesh. You know, there's been so many moves of God, maybe a a movement of prayer. You know, just because God did that before doesn't mean if we do X, Y, and Z because X, Y, and Z happened last time, then God's going to move. That's operating in the flesh. And then we're going to operate in the Spirit. Amen. So that was their first mistake. But we're going to read second attempt. I I, thankfully there wasn't third times the charm. It only took him twice, because King David's really smart, man after God's own heart. So this is 6, 11 through 15. The ark of the Lord remained in the house of Obed-Edom the Gittite three months. And the Lord blessed Obed-Edom and all of his household. And it was told to King David, the Lord has blessed the house of the household of Obed-Edom and all that belongs to him, because the ark of God. So David went out and brought up the ark of God from the house of Obed-Edom to the city where David, of David with rejoicing. And when those who bore the ark of the Lord, those were the priests, he got wise this time. He actually went back and said, oh, how are we supposed to do it? Let's do it this way. The who bore the ark had gone six steps and he sacrificed an ox and a fattened animal. Uh, I think it's in 2nd, uh, or maybe it's in 1 Chronicles. There's another telling of this where it talks about they would walk every six steps, and they would sacrifice um, six, uh, six bulls and six oxen. And so from Obed-Edom's house to the city of Jerusalem was nine miles. So think about, we've got this ark, and we're going to take one, two, three, four, five, six right, stop what we're doing. We're going to sacrifice seven bulls. We're going to sacrifice seven oxen. We're going to worship. We're going to praise. We're going to give thanks to the Lord because the, the, the presence of God is coming back to where it's supposed to be. It's We're not going to be out of the presence of God anymore. And they did that for nine miles. Nine. I don't know how long that journey took. And probably some of us are just like, oh my gosh, like I couldn't do that. But just think about the worship, the the attitude, the posture toward God that, I mean, I need to be at a place where every six steps of my life I'm stopping to give a sacrifice of praise to the Lord. Every six steps, every two steps. How long do we go where it's every six hours, every six days? every six months, every six years before we stop and just realize I'm in the presence of God and he is worthy of my worship. He is worthy of my praise. He's worthy of all that I have to sacrifice. I don't know how many times six steps times the seven and the seven, those 14 things that you're sacrificing, nine miles. I don't know, but they gave it all. They gave everything they had because the presence of God was in their midst and they they saw how important that was. They valued that and we have to value that. Um, it goes on to talk about, through the rest of this, how David, uh, they came to the city, they came to the gates. And, uh, you know, we, we know, most of us know the story about how David, the presence of God, the ark was back and he's dancing in the streets, worshiping God and he starts taking off his robes. And I just always like, that was a weird story to me. That was just, I was like, I love the Lord, but I don't feel like I just got to take my clothes off. Like I can fully be embraced by the presence of God, fully clothed. In fact, like when it's cold, God, I'm gonna put more layers on. In Jesus name. But uh, I want to read Psalm 24 with that in mind, because Psalm 24 was written by King David as they were coming up from Obed-Edom's house to the, the city gates. So this is Psalm 24. So the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. Now think about David writing this, thinking about just the passion And the excitement that the presence of God that was missing from from them for so long is coming back and they're, they're gonna get to house the presence of God. The earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof and the world and those who dwell therein. For he has founded it upon the seas and established it upon the rivers. Who shall ascend the hill of the Lord? Who shall stand in his holy place? He who has clean hands and a pure heart, who does not lift up his soul to what is false and does not swear deceitfully, he will receive blessings from the Lord and the righteous from God of his salvation. Such is a generation of those who seek him, who seek the face of God. So, something really cool as I was preparing for this message and as I've been di- diving into the tabernacle of David, something that um, would happen in those days is that when a city was overtaken, an army would come in and they would overthrow a city. What they would do, they would take the king of that city out to the city gates. And they would take off his robe pretty much as a sign of victory to say, we're going to strip you of your kingship. We're going to strip you of your title. We're going to strip you of your rights. Um, And so now hearing that story where David comes before the gates with the the presence of God uh, in hand, and he just starts taking off his robes. Let's read the rest of Psalm 24. Lift up your heads, O you gates. Just imagine the, the, the people at the gates saying, what are you doing? Why are you taking off your robes? Who's conquered us? Who's overthrown us? Lift up your heads, O you gates. Be lifted up, O ancient doors, that the King of glory may come in. Who is this King of glory? The Lord, strong and mighty. The Lord, mighty in battle. Lift up your heads, O you gates. Lift them up, O you ancient doors. The King of glory may come in. Who is this King of glory? The Lord of hosts. He is the King of glory. You know, David, in that moment, as he takes his robes off, it wasn't just because he was hot and sweaty from dancing for nine miles and, and sacrificing bulls and and calves. But he was telling all of Israel, we have been overtaken. We have been overthrown by God almighty, the King of glory. And it's not my kingdom. It's not my kingship. It's his kingdom working in and through me. And man, what a bold, bold. So next time you worship in, if you want to take that jacket off, just leave it at that, leave it just a robe. But it's going to mean something a little extra to you. It's going to mean something extra to me. But man, I love that. So then from there, they bring the ark in. And this is kind of where the tabernacle of David begins. He puts the ark in a tent. And then he starts assigning all these worshipers and all these people over worship, skilled musicians. Uh, Even just David's heart for worship was just so… He would create instruments to be played at the tabernacle. Instruments just like, oh, I'm going to, you know, let's look at that jug over there, put a rock in it, shake it, and we're going to praise God with it. I don't know. maybe He was probably way cooler than that. But he's looking at ways that how can we worship God nonstop because his presence is here and we're going to enthrone him on our praises as a nation And so that's where the the tabernacle of David begins and a 33-year reign in that. But what I really want to talk about, because we're still talking about a church of influence, you know, and, and how worship, for me, how does worship influence our community? How does the presence of God influence our community? Because I want to look at truly what happens when, or what happened with them when they spent day and night, 33 years of worship as a nation, for 33 years that the tabernacle of David was hosting 24-hour worship or hosting the presence of God, that, that time was known as the golden age of Israel. This was their time where they had the greatest political expansion, the greatest geographical expansion, and they had 33 years of peace with their enemies, even just in researching it. I thought it was cool that um, they were more prosperous in their crops because all of the, the nations around them were in mountainous areas and it was harder for them to grow crops. So people that had been enemies that had attacked them for years, Tyree in Egypt. Now they became trade partners because Israel was flourishing. Israel had everything that everybody else needed. So they're going to come to Israel and they weren't going to mess with you because, well, Israel has what we need. So we're going to actually, instead of attacking you, we're going to partner with you. Um, And all of that's taking place while there's constant worship, constant just honoring the Lord taking place. Um, this is 2 Samuel 7, 1. There's a couple of verses I want to read that just kind of speak into just how blessed Israel was and how blessed King David was. It says, now when, king, uh, when the king lived in his house and the Lord had given him rest from all of his surrounding enemies, that's 2 Samuel 7, 1, 1 Chronicles eleven nine. 9, uh, David became more and more powerful because the Lord was with him. And this is in First Kings, and this is actually uh, as David passes on his kingdom, to his son Solomon, and so this is talking about as Solomon stepping into uh, the king of Israel, what King David has set him up with. Uh, for he had dominion over all the region of west of the Euphrates, uh, of uh, Tipsah, to Gaza, uh, over the kings west of the Euphrates. He had peace on all sides around him. How many need peace at all sides around you, amen? And Judah and Israel lived in safety, from Dan even to Beersheba. Uh, every man under his vine and, and under his fig tree all the days of Solomon. mem housing the presence of God. He, David was just set on, we're not going to take for granted the presence of God. We're going to worship. We're going to enthrone him. We're going to allow his kingdom to work in us and through us. And we're going to just, day and night, we're going to worship. We're going to live our lives in a posture of worship before the Lord. And look how blessed they were. They, they, since they haven't been doing that, they haven't been as blessed since. Um, Well, I mean, obviously with New Testament, Jesus is here, so they can step right into that if they want to, but as a nation. So Israel saw such great influence because they hosted the presence of God. And truly what they were seeing was, I believe, is they were seeing on earth the reality of heaven. I think that when we tap into that concept of of just worshiping the Lord, um, and I wanna get to this because I've said this a lot, but it's not about day and night worship. Like that would be cool. I mean, I know, I, I love to worship. I, could, I don't know if I could go 24 hours. We're gonna have to sleep at some point. Somebody take shifts with me. I don't know, but it's not about that. Because um, even I've heard Pastor Jacob talk about like sometimes he gets bored in worship because he's just ready to get into the meat and get into the word. And so that's okay. It's not about worshiping day and night, but it's about a posture of our heart. It's about, again, every six steps. Am I thinking on the Lord in all my life, in all my heart, am I, am I at a place where God, I'm gonna honor you? God, I'm gonna worship you. God, I'm gonna give you everything that I've got. I wanna give you a sacrifice of praise when I don't feel like it, when it's tiring. I'm not gonna take your presence for granted because it's not about day and night worship. The goal is that cities be influenced by the presence of God, that God wants to use our worship, not just our singing and our playing of music, but he wants to use our heart, life, worship to transform society. He wants to transform Transform culture. And that's what was happening when the, the tabernacle of David, as they just postured themselves as a nation, that we're going to be a nation that set our eyes on God, that we're going to fix our eyes on him and worship him. Whatever comes, that's, that's our heart. He's going to be the king of this nation. And as they did that, it was just blessing upon blessing upon influence and influence. They influenced the culture around them because they hosted the presence of God You know, we hear, and we say this all the time, Matthew 6, 9 is the Lord's prayer. Our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be their name. Your kingdom come and your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. How many has prayed that at some point in their life? I think we all have at some point in our life that God, your kingdom come and your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And that's the kind of church we wanna be. But if we want what heaven has, then we have to do what heaven does. And heaven, if you read in the book of Revelation All they're doing is sitting around the throne of God, lifting praises, worshiping him, giving him a sacrifice of praise. That's all they're doing. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. Worthy is the lamb to receive glory and honor and praise. Just angels and all creation just continuing this song of worship. And that that song is supposed to cover the earth like the waters cover the seas. That's that's what heaven's doing right now. Heaven is worshiping with everything that they've got. And so if we're asking God, your kingdom come and your will be done right here and now, then I, wanna, I want my life, I want my heart more than anything else to, to look like heaven. So God help my heart to be in a worship state as often as I can. And again, we mess up. I'm not perfect. I have days where, weeks, months, where it's just hard to lift up a song of praise. It's hard where it's, it's that sacrifice of praise. When you don't feel like it, all odds are stacked against you. Life is rough, you get a, a bad medical report and you don't know how you're gonna overcome it. Uh, your kids are doing things that you feel like they're not supposed to and you're lifting up these prayers and you're lifting up these cries and you're just like, God, I can't do this anymore. I can't find the strength. But that's where it's that sacrifice of praise because that's what sets us apart from the, the, the world because everybody goes through something. You know, you don't have to be a Christian to have hard times. The lost have hard times too. But the difference is, is that we have a God that's always looking to pull us out. And all we have to do is in faith, just say, God, I'm going to take a step of faith. I'm going to worship you when I don't feel like it. I'm going to worship you when I don't see it. I'm going to give a shout of praise. That's, that's when you hear high praises, talking about the high praises of God. Uh, I think it's Psalm 141 where we, we lift up a high praise with a double-edged sword in our hand. That's just a battle cry. It's like, God, you have the victory, and I'm going to step into that, even if I don't see it, even if I don't feel like it. God, I'm lifting up your name because you are enthroned on my praises. And where your kingdom is coming through me, God, your kingdom is victory. Your kingdom is triumph. And so whatever I'm facing, whatever valley I feel like I'm in, whatever sickness I might be facing in my life right now, if I enthrone you on my praises, if I I know that I'm housing your presence right now, God, then I'm going to allow you to work through me, your kingdom to work through me. So as they hosted the presence of God day and night, they saw the establishment of God's kingdom and the release of his kingdom throughout the land. And isn't that what we want for our city? Isn't that what we need for our nation? That it's not about the, the, the kingdoms of darkness and the kingdoms of man and the kingdoms of, of political correctness, but it's about his kingdom being established. And they did that by simply just heart posture towards worship of the Lord day and night. So I want to talk about David's one thing. David's one thing. And And even uh, Antoinette kind of was singing some of this tonight, but uh, Psalm 27, 4. But obviously, David, this, he wasn't doing 24, you know, day and night worship. Because obviously before that, he was, you know, slaying giants with stones and he was watching sheep in the fields. and, And so he didn't have this tabernacle his whole life. But somehow God birthed this vision and this dream inside of him. So why did he build this tabernacle? It was a divine revelation of how God's kingdom operates that as we begin to worship him and enthrone him and say that, God, like your, your government's gonna be established on my praises. And I said this a couple of weeks ago, but I'll say it again. You know, out of all the places in the universe, all the beautiful, wonderful things that he's created, he could choose anywhere to set his throne, to set up his throne room, but he chooses to do it on our praises. And specifically that word praise in Hebrew is a prophetic song. So as we begin to lift up prophetic declarations, over ourselves, over our families, over our cities, over our nations, that's where he makes his throne. And his throne room is where his government's established and his kingdom is released. And so David got a divine revelation of that's how God's kingdom works is through our our worship, through our honest worship towards him. And it was an outward manifestation of an inward reality of David's heart. You know, David was doing this as he was watching sheep out in his dad's field. He was doing this, you know, he, it talks about how he went before Saul and just played his harp, didn't say he sang, he could have sang a song, he just played his harp before the Lord and, and demons were driven away just from his worship on, without even singing. All that was birthed from a divine revelation of just time and intimacy with the Lord. And so from that intimacy, from that place, God birthed, hey, you should be doing this all the time. Like just think what would happen if a nation is doing what you're doing right now. Psalm 27, 4. We've all heard this, we heard it even tonight, but this, this wasn't a psalm. This sounds like a psalm that would have been written in the tabernacle of David, just soaking in the presence of God. But this was a psalm that he had written, a song to the Lord, when he was in hiding from Saul. Saul was out to kill him for trying to, you know, he was he was nervous he's going to take his throne. He was out to kill David. So David, hiding for his life, writes this psalm to the Lord. It says, One thing have I asked of the Lord and that will I seek after that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life to gaze upon his beauty and to inquire in his temple that's tabernacle worship when things are stacked against you when when life seems like it's coming at you hard and there's no way out when that, again that that doctor's report says you've got this long or it's incurable or your your finances say you're never going to get out of that debt Your dreams always seem like they're always going to fall short. But to say, God, in spite of that, it's not about those things because it's about being in your presence. It's about looking on your face. The one thing that I want, I'm fighting for my life right now, God. I'm not asking for your your safety. I'm not asking for your protection. I'm not asking that you, you know, wipe out my adversaries, God, but just to be in your presence all the days of my life. That's where that was birthed. And man, I want that birthed in me. I want that birthed in our church because the presence of God changes everything. Before there could be a tabernacle of David in the city of David, there had to be a tabernacle of David in the heart of David. It had to be in his heart. And again, that's why it's not about 24 hour, all day, all night worship. It's just about my heart saying, God, like, I'm going to give you everything. I'm going to seek after you. I want to, I want to be in your presence. Every step that I take, I want to give you my praise. I want to worship you. I want my life to be a song of worship. And so that means when I, when I fall short, God, I'm going to just come to you and I'm going to worship you. When things are just storms rise up against me and it seems like everything is just coming against me, God, I'm going to worship you. And it's saying that prayer and it's just continuing to worship and, to, and I'm going to worship you in the good. I'm going to worship you in the bad. That's what it is more than anything else, but that establishes and that creates a tabernacle worship environment in our heart to say that God, like no matter what, you're on your throne and God, you're on the throne of my heart. No matter what comes against me, you're on the throne of my heart and you're going to stay there because I'm going to keep worshiping you. I'm going to keep praising you and all that, all of that, because that's what my heart, my cry is for us as a church, that all of this comes back to being a church of influence. And it's the presence of God that makes us influential. If we want to see our city change, if we want to see our nation change, and we know we're in a dark time. I mean, I, I feel like it's, it's such a God thing that we're talking about being a church of influence and our pastor on the weekend is starting a series about countering culture and, and just things that we have to face as a church. How are we going to get past that? It's by making God the one thing. That through it all, that God, like, I can't do this in the flesh. I can't change a nation in the flesh. I can't truly reach my city. You know, as this series continues, we're going to talk about how to, to put our hand to the plow and sow seed and be salt to the earth and light to the world and, and go out and truly be outside these four walls, the church that God's called us to be, to be the body of Christ. But none of that matters if God's not in it, if God's not enthroned on our praises, if God's not the Lord of our heart and the Lord of this church. And so I just wanna pray over us and, and even as we come to the table, because we're gonna come and, and take of, the, of communion tonight. But I'll just go into this. Uh, it was cool, I was talking with Tyler uh, yesterday just kind of about what I was, I was thinking about sharing and I talked about how the Tabernacle of David was, went on for 33 years, 33 years of day and night worship. And the first thing he said was like, oh yeah, Jesus's ministry was 33 years. And, and I think if we can just keep our eyes fixed on Jesus, because Jesus is the embodiment of what Tabernacle of David worship looks like lived out. Because he wasn't just singing. and impl- I mean, there's nothing that I've read in the Gospels that said Jesus could shred on a guitar or anything. I don't know. Maybe he did. He was, he, he was a carpenter, so maybe he'd make some musical instruments. But it doesn't say that. But he lived worship before the Father. He lived out a life of worship and that looked like serving others. I think tabernacle of David, like with Jesus and where we live now, it doesn't have to be we're going to worship day and night because God's already taken care of it. His presence is here. His presence is here. He dwells on the inside of us. So now knowing that, God, I house your presence. Us collectively as a church, we house your presence. It's not in this building. It's in our hearts, God. And so what does that look like when we house the presence? It looks like us washing the feet of those who need it. It looks like us taking care of the poor. It looks like us feeding the hungry, clothing those who don't have clothes. It looks like foster care and us stepping into that, that, the foster care world in our community. It looks like pop-up church in places that people don't know about church and don't think they need church. And us saying, we're gonna meet you where you're at. It's whatever God's putting on your heart. Like that's tabernacle of worship. That's putting God, on, it's, it's hosting his presence and saying that God, you matter here. And I can't do this without you.